This sermon was recorded at Church of the Ascension, an Anglican parish in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, whose mission is to be a worshipping community that equips God's people and shares Christ's healing with a broken world. For more information, please visit ascensionpittsburgh.org. Good morning. My name is Father Kevin, one of the pastors here. So good to be worshipping with you this morning. It was really good to see many of you yesterday at the Parish Day Away at Laurelville. It was especially good to see the lower half of your faces. That was a, a real gift. Um, you know, I've, I realized that um, I, since I haven't seen most of your actual faces, I've just seen you with masks, I've constructed actually how you look uh, in my head, not with, you know, without kind of meaning to do it. So I saw a guy that I've, I've chatted with a few times at church, and he wasn't wearing a mask, and I said, John, have you grown a goatee? And he said, I've had this for 12 years. You've just never seen my face. It's kind of an amazing thing. Well, we're still getting to know one another. Um, And uh, actually, let me pray. I keep forgetting uh, to pray, and then I'll have you all be seated. So let's pray together. Father, thank you for this time to be together and uh, for speaking to us by your word, uh, through the preaching of your word. And I pray that you would help us to hear everything that you have for us this day, for um, the good of the world and for your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. So uh, I'm still very new. Um, it's still good to get to know one another. Please don't stop introducing yourself to me and to our family. It's, it's really a gift to us when you do that. I thought uh, as we're getting to know one another, I'd start my sermon with a nice icebreaker. I love a good icebreaker. And so um, I want to begin by sharing one of the things that's gotten me through the pandemic. This is a good icebreaker question. Maybe after the service, you could ask one another this. Um, It's actually an incredibly spiritual thing, this thing that I've done. It's just the type of thing you would hope your pastor does to deal with all the stresses and the anxiety of these past months. So one of the things that got me through the pandemic, I I asked Jonathan for a drum roll to kind of hype things up, and I looked over, and he's got a cast. I felt kind of bad about that. Um, He can't do it. Um, But one of the things that got me through the pandemic was Gardener's World. It's a TV show. Anyone familiar with with this show? We have a few hands. Wonderful. It's a TV show that's been running for almost six decades. It's a bit of an institution in uh, Britain. And it airs on Friday nights from March to October, which is the growing season in England. And it's like a big warm hug as you enter the weekend. It's hosted by a man called Monty Don, and I would describe him as like the Mr. Rogers of the British gardening world. Yeah, he, that's a good description. If you, you'll, you'll see if you, when you watch the show afterwards. He has a kind face, a big reassuring presence, a calming voice, and the show is a slow medley of instruction on how to garden, um, tours of spectacular gardens, and then Monty's dogs sleeping in the sun. It's like comfort food for the soul. It's really been a gift to me. Now, watching uh, Gardener's World is the next best thing to actually gardening, which I have begun to do during the pandemic, thanks to Uncle Monty. And I've discovered that gardening um, is uh, quite a retreat. It helps me to gain perspective. It helps me to practice hope. I get lessons from the dirt. Seasons come and seasons go, but spring always follows along winter. Planting seeds and nurturing plants is good, hard work, and it leads to a great crop. It leads to new growth. Well, in our scripture this morning, Jesus likewise offers us lessons from the dirt. We're going to look at just one parable, Mark chapter 4, verses 26 to 29, 
It's a wonderful parable, and it's uh, very interesting in that it's um, only here in the Gospel of Mark. It doesn't appear in any of the other Gospels. And we see, as we pay attention to what Jesus does in the Gospels, that he would often teach in parables. And he does this for a number of reasons. And one of those reasons is he takes something familiar, something like growing a plant, to illuminate something mysterious, like the kingdom of God. And as we dig into this parable, it's really important for us to know, it's really important for us to understand that the central theme of Jesus' life, the thing that most animated his mission and his ministry, was the kingdom of God. I don't know if there's anything that Jesus wanted us to understand more than the kingdom. In Mark's gospel, the very first words that we hear Jesus speak are these. The time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe the gospel. This functions as a kind of thesis statement for the entire gospel of Mark. Now, Jesus being a very good teacher often shows more than he tells. He doesn't ever really define the kingdom of God for us. Uh, But I think it's helpful for us to have a, a sort of working definition together for what the kingdom of God is. How are we to understand it? So this is one crack at defining the kingdom, which is very difficult to do. This is how I would articulate it. The kingdom is when and where the way of Jesus is realized. When and where the way of Jesus is realized. In our hearts and in our minds and in our bodies and in our relationships and in our community and in the world. But please don't let the definition fool you. The kingdom of God is mysterious. Now, this past week, I posed a question on Facebook. I asked my friends, how do you define the kingdom of God in one short sentence? And I happen to have a lot of pastor friends and theologian friends, so I got some really profound, insightful answers. And I'm going to tell you the two answers that I found to be the most interesting. They're actually not full sentences, so they're kind of cheating, but they're still very good. So a couple of my friends define the kingdom of God in this way. Better than here and not real. Better than here and not real. These are people that I know. There's stories behind these answers. Now, I don't need to tell you that the kingdom of God is not fully here, right? We've been living through a pandemic. We're witness to and and complicit in all kinds of injustices and inequality. And then there's the more individual experiences of hurt and loss, of cruelty and indifference that people inflict upon us and that sometimes we inflict upon others. If the kingdom of God has arrived in and with Jesus, as he claims, well, where in the world is it? Where's the kingdom? And as if anticipating this kind of question, Jesus says, this is what the kingdom is like. A man scatters seed on the ground, We'll focus on the next two verses here for a moment. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces of itself first the stalk, then the head, then the full grain in the head. You see, the kingdom of God is like a seed planted, and it takes time to grow. It takes longer than we expect and often longer than we would like. But day by day, day by day, this planted seed grows, and day by day, day by day, the kingdom of God grows. And it's a long growing season, and it requires patience. Unfortunately for us, patience is in short supply in a world like ours that's so profoundly shaped by Amazon Prime. We have been primified as a people. All the new technology, the globalization, 
We're groomed for immediate gratification. We fully expect blueberries in winter. And I'm beginning to learn this lesson at least a little bit from my sweet lemon tree that you all got to meet a moment ago. I thought, I have a yard, I like lemons, I like baking with lemons. I'd like to have my own lemon tree to sort of produce my own food. And so I bought this lemon tree. First I went to a store, but they didn't have them. And so I bought it online. And the tree, believe it or not, was delivered to me in a box, kind of an amazing thing. And I guess I didn't read very carefully. I, I bought a cheaper one. You, you buy a more mature one, they're quite a bit more expensive. But the one I bought was the price I was willing to pay. And I was shocked to learn that this tree is not going to produce lemons for me for another two years. I was quite upset uh, about that. The kingdom takes time to grow. In verse 28, we see that the kingdom, it might not be immediate, but it is, we might say, inevitable. The earth produces of or by itself. And this is the word where we get our word automatic. The man does not know or need to know the biological mechanisms or the chemical factors behind plant growth. He simply sticks a seed in the ground and the seed does its thing. And so this is one of the lessons that we get from the dirt. It's about the reality of the kingdom. The kingdom will grow. It will take time. We don't always know how it grows, but it will grow. It's unstoppable. And there's great comfort in this if we stop and pause and think about it. What it means is that all of the lumps and losses from our past, all of the loneliness and anxiety and sickness and hurt and pain in our present, all of this will one day be healed, healed when the kingdom comes in its fullness. And the greatest assurance of this is the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. In dying and rising again, Jesus conquered all of the obstacles of the kingdom. A shoot indeed has risen from the ground, the harvest is coming, Jesus will come in glory to judge the living and the dead. And that's very good news for citizens of the kingdom because when he does so, he'll wipe away every tear from every eye. He'll make all things new. And this is the reason, in fact, it's the only reason that Christians have any hope in the world. The kingdom is an unstoppable reality. This is a big part of what this parable means, but it's not the whole parable. Now, if you read the commentaries, which I did in preparation for the sermon, most of them will say that the sole point of this parable is to emphasize one thing. This parable is meant to emphasize that humans play essentially no role in the development of the kingdom. I could summarize the commentaries I read like this. The parable shows that the kingdom of God grows apart from human understanding, apart from human observation, and apart from human effort. Humans are but bystanders. The kingdom of God hums merrily along without us. But I don't think that's actually the case. That's not true of my experience, and I don't think that's a very good reading of our text this morning. Instead, I think our parable actually shows us that humans do, in fact, have a role in the kingdom. We have a responsibility in and even for the kingdom. Now, before I go on, I want to be very clear about what I am saying what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that the kingdom of God is ultimately dependent upon us. It's God's kingdom after all. We can't bring it into existence and reality in and of ourselves. But I'm also not saying that the kingdom is divorced from us. It's not fully dependent on us, but it's not divorced from us either. Now, to help us see how all of this fits together, I want you to think about someone that you know 
who just lives on a different spiritual reality, somebody who inhabits a different mode of spiritual existence, somebody really dialed into Jesus, somebody who abides in the vine, somebody who's fluent in prayer, somebody who is so loving and kind and generous and gentle and compassionate. Think about how that person lives. Do they do anything to cultivate the kind of life that you see in God? Or is it just automatic? Does it just happen? Does their vibrant faith happen despite how they spend their time and focus their attention or because of it? You can think about it a little bit differently. Like Jesus, we can talk about gardens. Think about the Phipps Conservatory. Now compare the Phipps with your garden or come over to my house and compare it to mine. Is it simply a mystery of God's sovereignty that the Phipps is flourishing and my backyard isn't? Did God just stick his big green thumbs in the soil of Phipps and just completely pass by my backyard? I don't think so. The answer is obvious. Since 1893, for almost 130 years, people have been intentionally cultivating the soil at the Phipps Conservatory. You see, there's a correlation between the amount of time and attention in a word, the amount of love that's devoted to its health and beauty and fruitfulness of that garden. And the same is true of our faith. Are we beginning to see why Jesus' parable here is so brilliant? I want to unpack this a little bit more for us by talking about an article that I've read recently. In his regular column in the New Statesman, which I'm not particularly familiar with, it's a a British periodical, a professor by the name of Stefan Buchatsky, he's a famous gardening expert, in Britain, he begins his article by describing how one of his former garden colleagues used to say that sowing seeds and watching them grow into full-size plants within a matter of weeks was as close as most people ever come to witnessing a miracle. Planting seeds and watching them grow was the closest thing that most people come to seeing a miracle. Now, what strikes me about this article and this statement is um, that someone like Professor Buchatsky, he has a DPhil in forestry from Oxford. I don't think he's a Christian. Uh, He's written 50 books on gardening and uh, natural history. He has so much scientific knowledge and practical know-how about plants. This man can describe plant growth from seed as a miracle, and all of this in an article that's written with very specific directions on when and where and how to plant the seeds. You see, this man of science holds two things together. Seed growth is a miracle, and it requires effort and the right conditions. Gardening, in other words, is the stewardship, we might say, or the participation in miracles. Gardening is the participation in miracles, and I think you could describe discipleship and life in the kingdom of God in just the same way. And we see this in our parable. If you look at the beginning and the end, we see that the man is not a passive bystander at all. The seed does not grow despite him. He does two essential things in the parable. He sticks the seed in the soil, and then he harvests the crop. He's responsible for putting in some effort and for planting in the right conditions. Now, of course, the man does not tell the seed enzymes to activate. He doesn't tell the seed wall to start dissolving, to stick out its shoots. He doesn't cause photosynthesis. That's not the point. The point is, he does what he can do. He plants in conditions hospitable for growth. He doesn't scatter seed in water or on rocks. He doesn't feed the seeds to the birds. 
He puts them in soil where it can take root and be nourished and grow. And when the plant is ripe, he sends in his sickle. Now, a key word for us here is the word effort. I don't want to skip past this word. I don't want to be shy about this word. For some of us, I know effort is a bad word. It smacks of works righteousness when we're allergic to any effort or talk about effort in the Christian life, as if it somehow means we're earning our salvation. But effort is a good word. It's not opposed to grace. Listen to Dallas Willard, one of my favorite uh, spiritual gurus, if you could call him. Listen to how he describes the relationship between grace and effort. He writes this, and I'm quoting him here. It's crucial to realize that grace is not opposed to effort. Grace is opposed to earning. Earning is an attitude, but effort is an action. Without effort, we would be nowhere. When you read the New Testament, you see how astonishingly energetic it is. Paul says, take off the old man, put on the new. There is no suggesting that this will be done for you. That's the end of the quote. Of course, there's also no suggesting that effort is possible apart from the grace and the power of God. We see over and over and over again, the Bible holds these two things together without blinking. And nowhere is this more clear, perhaps, than in Philippians 2, where Paul writes, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. You work it out. God is working in you. Seed growth is a miracle. This is how you do it. Your faith, in other words, will not flourish without getting some dirt under your fingernails. Now, I want to bring all this together for us. Go back to that show that's been such a comfort to me during this pandemic. Near the end of Gardener's World, Uncle Monty wraps things up in the same way. The show has a beautiful liturgy to it. He always ends with a segment called Jobs for the Weekend. Basically saying, okay, stop watching TV, go into your own garden, and get your hands dirty. And he tells you to do things like feed your roses and trim your hedges. Well, I have a job for you this week. Survey your garden. Inventory your experience. Reflect on your relationship with the Lord. How is it with you in the kingdom of God? Are you experiencing life in the kingdom of God? Because Jesus intends for this to be an ever-increasing reality in our lives. And I want you to ask yourself, am I growing? Am I bearing fruit? Reflect on the condition of your garden. And then, of course, I'm talking here about our souls. Are you giving it much attention these days? Perhaps you'll look and you'll see, actually, that you don't have a garden at all. All you see is just a bunch of tilled earth. We'll scatter some seed on the ground. It will grow. Perhaps you'll see that your garden is in full bloom, as it ought to be in this season. Well, wonderful. Don't ignore it. Give it the attention it deserves. Weeds are always in season. Have a look on the ground. Have weeds sprung up everywhere? Can you tell the difference between a weed and a flower? Talk to someone who has more gardening experience. Help them, have them help you. And then root the weeds out and throw them away. Stick your hands in the ground. Feel the soil. Is it bone dry? Are the leaves looking sad and wilty in desperate need of water? Take a drink from the water of life. Survey your garden this week. 
and tackle some of the jobs you see knowing that the presence of the kingdom and your participation in the kingdom is all grace. And it all stems from Jesus, who is the seed that fell to the earth and died so that he would bear much fruit. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we do thank you that you were the seed that died. John 12 says, unless the seed falls and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. And I pray that you would, by your spirit, help us to bear fruit, the fruit of the spirit. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.